Hello everyone and welcome to A Cast of Kings, an unofficial podcast about the HBO original series Game of Thrones. My name is David Chen and I've never read any of the books in George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. My name is Joanna Robinson and I've read every book in George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. And welcome to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, if you're tuning in for the first time, you should know that we spoil everything through this week's episode of Game of Thrones. Uh, so this week we'll be spoiling everything through Season 3, Episode 6, entitled The Climb. We won't be spoiling anything from future episodes. That includes anything you can find in the book, as well as anything you can find in uh, the next time on Preview uh, that HBO airs after the episode. You can email us at acastofkings at gmail.com. That's acastofkings at gmail.com. And you can also uh, find all of our episodes at gameofthronespodcast.com. Uh, so, General Robinson, what we're going to do today, as usual, we'll uh, talk through this week's episode, pretty much plot line by plot line, and then uh, dive into some listener emails, which we always love to read. Um, do we have any? We have any corrections from last week we want to make, Joanna? I, I don't think there's anything we need to point out today. But we no, usually, there's nothing I want to correct. Okay, we usually like to uh, we usually okay, like I'll, to make any corrections. Go ahead. Now I'm feeling guilty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't actually anticipating you would say anything, but w- what do you want to talk about? Um, I will say that last week, offhandedly, I commented that Kit Harrington and Rose Leslie, who play Jon Snow and Egret, respectively, were dating. I was incorrect. Someone informed me at great length and was very upset. I was wrong. They mm. are not dating. Mm. They just went out to dinner once. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, wow. That's our correction. That's probably the most egregious error you've made. Uh since the beginning of this podcast, I have to say, I think I should be drummed out of the podcasting industry for that error. You need really. to you. Uh, this calls for nothing short of a a behanding, as they would say. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about this week's episode. I'm just going to say right off the bat, General. So actually, I, I should also say that uh, we are recording a little bit late on Monday night this week, and uh, we had a choice. We have a choice between releasing the episode sooner. Or waiting until I can edit in some clips from the show, I'm going to assume that listeners would prefer getting the podcast sooner rather than waiting longer and getting some clips in the show. Uh, so if I'm mistaken, feel free to write into us at a cast of kings at gmail.com, but I'm going to assume you guys prefer speed as opposed to quality, uh, which is my motto in life. So for, are those your house words? For those a lot of th- those are my words. house words for a lot mm-hmm. of things. A lot mm-hmm. of things, Joanna. Speed. Anyway. Uh, let's get into the show. I'm going to say right off the bat, uh, season three, episode six, I really did not like this episode. I, I thought it was probably, if not the weakest episode, uh, pro- definitely the weakest episode this season, and maybe one of the weakest episodes I've seen in the entire series. Uh, do you agree with my general assessment? Yes. Okay. Wow. We're, we're already off to a rip-roaring start here. So... <laughs> So uh, the episode begins on oh, – well, actually, we should also point out that the opening credits, it seems like they're doing this thing now where they show uh, locations in the opening credits that you don't actually see in the episode itself, right? Like I think this has happened occasionally in the past, but it's quite noticeable this season because whole plot lines are left out of episodes and, uh, and it's very obvious when you don't see Runkai in the show. Am I right? Yes. Was yeah, no, the camera the camera goes like, you know, sailing over the narrow seas and we're like, oh, we're going to see Danny and then we don't. So. Yes. 
So, so we didn't see Runkai this episode, uh, and we'll yeah. talk about the other plot lines we missed out on this episode as well. Uh, so this episode opens on Sam and Gilly. If you'll recall, they had just made an escape from Craster's Keep last week, uh, which was being to- sort of totally destroyed by men of the Night's Watch uh, gone insane. Uh, and so they're building a fire in the middle of the woods. And I will say, despite uh, the overall weakness of the scene, I did like the characters. I did like how it was shot. It was very beautifully framed. Uh, this kind of lone fire in the middle of this dark wood. Uh, so I liked the mise-en-scene, but was not uh, a huge fan of the, the dialogue that takes place. It, it feels a little bit... Um, I don't know, weak is is one word that comes to mind. What do you think of this interaction, Joanna? Well, finally we got to see the obsidian knife, which um, I, you know, they, they dug it up last season. Sam dug it up last season and then they didn't talk about it for a while. So he pulled it out uh, to show Gilly. He, um, he pulled it out <laughs> to show Gilly. And yes. she was like, Sam, that's too much wood. And he's like, sorry. Um, anyway, <laughs> she did say that. Um, I liked his little song that he sang. I yeah, was that was cute. That was cute. And I really like his performance. He's very sweet and bashful. I love his performance. Um, I know a lot of people hated the Gillian Sam stuff last season, so I'm sure those people are like, oh, great, more Gillian Sam. I hope that thimble comes into play some more, you know. Um, I think it's probably the one of the tamer plot lines, but, um, you know, so I can agree that it's weak, but I, I do, I really think his performance is sweet. Yeah, so. it's, it's sweet, it's nice, uh, but... You know, there's nothing I find terribly compelling about it. And I think a lot of that is because of the weakness of the Sam character in general. Uh, Like, just as we've already discussed in the podcast, he has not been built up very well as a character. Like, usually when you have a character like that, you want him to have positive and negative qualities. From my perspective, most of his qualities on the show have been negative, right? So there's not that much for me to want to root for Sam other than his general adorableness and the performance of the actor. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't dislike it, uh, but it just kind of was like, eh. But I did like that they brought back that obsidian knife, uh, although I, I, I question whether it's really obsidian, Joanna, but um, you know, I'm not going to go into that. Uh, speaking of plot lines from last season, we got an email from M-Man from Sweden who writes in, Greetings. Where the hell are the huge army of charging White Walkers? <laughs> Six episodes now and no word about what seemed to be a charging army. Are they all taking a break? Uh, which I thought was kind of amusing just because, yeah, that's, that's how Game of Thrones plays, man. Sometimes they will let a storyline lie dormant for many, many episodes. And this is, I was trying to get at this point during last, last podcast was about how you really just can't anticipate what's going to happen, right? Like, oh... This season two cliffhanger is all these White Walkers charging towards the wall. So theoretically, you think, hey, maybe we'll at least mention that in the first six episodes of season three. But, I I mean, it's it's alluded to, right, when you see all the dead horses. But you don't really see the White Walkers this season, right? (laughs) Am I correct in saying that we haven't seen them at all? We have not seen them. We've seen the effects of them, but we haven't seen them at all. So it's just kind of like... Uh, it, it is cool when the show follows up on a plot line from last season, in this case, this knife. Um, but, you know, it also frequently does not follow up on things. And so we, we have to lie and wait. So anyway, fine, cute little scene. 
let's get to the more interesting stuff. Uh, so there is this. <laughs> let's get to the more interesting stuff, like this uh, meandering brand storyline uh, with the dreams. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you really just just transition from thimbles to the cripple boy and his wolf dreams? First of all, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm gonna be charitable and assume you're using the term cripple boy because that's what Westeros people would use. Um, <laughs> but yes, he, despite his. Uh, being the differently, differently abled the differently prince abled of Winterfell. Boy. Yeah, the differently abled prince of Winterfell. He is not. Um, uh, what what was the point of this this scene? <laughs> there is some tension mounting between Asha and Jojen Reed's sister. Correct. Yes. Well, now we know how to skin a rabbit, so that's important. Um, I will say this: the rabbit skinning felt very true to life. Uh, <laughs> it, it felt very authentic, as it were. You know? Have you have you skinned a lot of rabbits? I have not. I have not. But that, that's you know when a show can fool you into thinking that it, they're actually doing it. Uh, th- maybe they did learn how to skin rabbits. It seemed as though that was a distinct possibility. So maybe it so. felt it felt very Gollum Game of Thrones to me, which I always like. Um, I think the point was to show the toll that the visions take on Jojen. I think that was sort of the most important thing we could get from this scene is the little like epileptic fit he had. And I think it, you know, they gave Rick in a line, which is nice because I hadn't heard his voice in I think a season and a half. And, um, you know, and then it was an easy transition over to John's story. So, yeah, because he said, uh, he, he, Jojen had this vision of John, right. On the wrong side of the wall, surrounded by enemies. Although are they really enemies? In any case, that's always – it's – you know, one thing that uh, I have faulted episodes for in the past is moving plot lines along by infinitesimal rates. And that is kind of the MO for this episode, right, is that you have these plot lines that are moved along at a very slow rate. Well, I think – I mean, honestly, I think the real reason that scene exists is so that we don't forget that those characters exist. Right, right. And I think they have nothing to show us. And so they're just like, hey, these people are around. Let's invent some controversy about rabbits and then transition quickly to John. So, like, I mean, at least we didn't have three scenes of Asha and Mira fighting over how to skin a rabbit, you know. And yes. I loved – I did love Bran's line of, like, you both – Skin rabbits very well. Like you're both pretty. It's okay. Calm right, down. Right. That so. was that was kind of amusing. And and I, so let me just say, the the scenes are not like irredeemably bad or anything like that. It wasn't that I was actively disgusted by this episode. I just want to make that clear. Uh, it's just that compared to the awesomeness of the last two episodes of Game of Thrones, uh, I thought this one was quite weak. Uh, and, and so there are moments of you know pleasure in in this episode to be found. It just is not uh, doesn't measure up to the other episodes this season. And it doesn't even like it doesn't even feel like one of those table setting place setting episodes where they're moving the chess pieces into place. Right? Uh, it just feels like they're kind of spinning their wheels. This episode. Moving on, uh, we go to John. Cut to John uh, at the wall. And now, John Robinson, can you remind us? Uh, what exactly are the wildlings' plan here? What exactly is their plan? I should say they want to scale the wall, and is is the re- what, what exactly is the reason they want to get over the wall and, and go south of the wall? So that they can open the gate from the inside. Right, and and uh, Mance Raider's objective. Do we know what that is? Like, why does he want to open the gate? They they, they just generally want to be on the south side, or 
Well, yeah. Are, are we not supposed to know exactly? I don't know how much I want to go into it, okay. but I will say that you know he wants to. Because um, it's yeah. not. It's not the only thing is like that. I either forget or that I I never really learned is that is that. Are they trying to like? What is the wildlings' relationship to the White Walkers? Are they trying to escape them? You know, what is Mansurator's broader plan? We may we may not know. Um, I'm guessing we. Yeah, don't see, know. I'm like I'm trying to figure out if the show has told us and if I'm allowed to tell you. Right, like I right. know, but you know, like. Okay, well, let's assume the show hasn't told us, and if it has, you know, uh, TV viewers only write us at a cast of kings at gmail.com and Let us know. So whatever the case, they're trying to get over the wall. And uh, John and Egret have this moment. Now, uh, John Robinson, last episode of the podcast, you were telling me how you thought that cave scene was unearned, that they had not built up enough characters, like character moments, to earn that scene where Egret's like, I never want to leave this cave, blah, 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 blah. And I said, John Robinson, don't be silly. The sexual tension between the two of them is enough, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and and I dismissed. So now we're recapping our own episode. That's right. And, and now <laughs> yeah. and I dismissed your concerns out of hand. Uh, now this episode, I would say your concerns. If you were to repeat those concerns, I would say those concerns were totally valid because Egret seems to be referring to this whole relationship that's taken place that uh, we have not seen, and in the context of the show, just has not existed. Do you agree? I mean, that's what I was saying. Yeah, right. My feeling at the end of the last episode was like, I never want to leave this cave. Is shorthand for we're going steady. We have been for a while, you know, blah, blah. And, and she was saying as much in this episode where she was like, I'm your woman now and you will be loyal to me. And yeah, it's like, okay, they had sex once as far as we know in the show. And that's not the case in the books. But yeah, it, it seems rushed, right? Yeah, it, it does. And uh, it wasn't really the you're loyal to me. That part wasn't... Uh, really the part that struck me it was the kind of when she was talking about how uh you're like you're good to me you're not like those other guys you treat me well and it feels like she's talking about more than just his uh, oral skills it feels like I think you're underestimating how shitty the wildling men are <laughs> <laughs> okay maybe I am maybe I am <laughs> I mean are you being serious or are you joking I can't tell no I'm I mean I'm kind of serious I okay. feel like you know, by so, comparison, by comparison, by not much. treating her like crap, like Jon yeah. Snow wins by default, basically. Yeah. Yay, go John! I'm, I thought Rose Leslie was adorable, though. Like, I don't think that the sentiment is earned, but I thought her delivery was. Oh yeah. Lovely. Oh, she's great. She's great. But yeah, the the sentiment, even as you're kind of ridiculing my point of view here on this, I I still think that, um, you know, there's not there's just not enough there. For, to, to, for us to react to that relationship as a fully fleshed out relationship. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, you know, that's my thoughts on that. Okay. Uh, but let us know if you agree, listeners. Let us know if you agree. <laughs> so let's talk but about... The, I mean, that was, that was the important thing is like, Igret says, you know, the Night's Watch doesn't care whether you live or die. Mansa Raider doesn't care whether I live or die. I care if you live. You care if I live. It, like basically it's us against the world, which is, you know, hit hit us over the head with the cast iron skillet at the end of the episode where it's literally just them like looking out at the world. Um, and, you know, I just I think it's good to show John's conflicted feelings of loyalty because like he he was quite loyal to and serious about the Night's Watch. But 
you know, he's also a young man in love. And so what do you, what do you do? Where, who, who do you stay loyal to in that scenario? It's interesting because that's not kind of, that's not even the way I conceive of it. Because again, I, I hate to sound like a broken record, but I feel like John's motivations have been so poorly built up until now that when, when she says, hey, I know your secret, you're still loyal to the Night's Watch. And it's like, okay, right? What? I, I, I mean, I, I think we all kind of knew that. But what, is, what does that even mean exactly? Like, is, is he, uh, he going to try to take down Mance Raider? Like, we just have no insight into what John's inner life is and kind of how others really perceive him, I feel like. Um, I, 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 maybe I'm being a little bit too brash with my generalizations, but I, I don't know. It, it's supposed to be this deep moment, I feel, this like kind of moment when she says, I, I know your secret. Um, how do you feel the audience is supposed to react to that, Joanna? Um, well, I think what we're supposed to understand is that she's very bright and she's very perceptive. And it's not so much a question of where are John's loyalties right now. It's that she is trying to tell him that she understands him, that he can say that he's not conflicted, that he is fully, you know, on Man's Raider, on Team Man's Raider, but um, that she understands his personality. And it's true. He is very loyal. Like, you know, Catelyn Stark treated him like crap, but he was very loyal to the Stark family, you know, and and very honorable um, as a member of the Night's Watchmen and, and loyal to Sam. You know, like he is a very loyal, sweet boy. I don't think they've done a great job of showing the show, but that is a, a true quality of Jon Snow. And so for her to point that out to him, I think we're meant to see how she, that she sees him and then how important is that when you're falling in love with someone to feel like you're really seen by them you know yeah i i, I feel like that was the important takeaway i guess if i were to sum it up i would feel, <laughs> i feel i feel as though like all of john's uh actions until this point have been totally motivated by trying to stay alive and not by anything else about the Night's Watch or the Wildlings or Egret. Like, that's kind of what I feel like. Everything has been about him staying alive and nothing else even comes close in terms of priorities and in terms of affecting what he's doing. Okay, then so, I think the show is definitely failing you in showing you who Jon Snow is supposed to be. I think Jon, the show did a great job in season one of, of Game of Thrones of showing us who Jon Snow is. Like, the interactions between Jon Snow and Arya I thought were just so great. I still remember them. You know, mm-hmm. very, very touching. So... Um, but you know, uh, a, a lot of people have written in violently disagreeing with me about the Jon Snow storyline. So, you know, I, I, they probably are seething with hatred right now as I'm complaining about it even further. Uh, so why don't we move on? Just don't suggest Kit Harrington is dating someone he's not, Dave. Just exactly. don't do it. Okay, I'll try not to. So let's talk about the rest of the story. So I will say that actually, uh, I was thrilled at some moments of this uh, this wall climbing part. I thought the special effects were decent, not amazing it was kind of like vertical limit game of thrones edition (laughs) um really similar to that and uh i i yeah i I thought it was it was somewhat thrilling it was um have you seen this more like cliffhanger game of thrones edition well actually have you seen this movie called touching the void no so touching the void is probably one of my favorite movies of all time and i think it's available like right now on netflix watch instantly so if you haven't seen Touching the Void, check it out, because it's an amazing movie. 
Uh, it's a documentary about these two climbers that went up uh, on one of the dangerous mountains in the world. And uh, essentially, a very similar thing happens in Touching the Void that happens in this, mo- in this episode, where one of the climbers loses his grip and uh, falls and, and is totally just dangling there uh, on a rope. Now, in the climbing world, I've learned from this movie. I don't actually do any climbing, but I've, from this movie, what they said was cutting your like, partner's rope is one of the, the most forbidden things you could ever do in climbing. It's like terribly, um, you know, it's just like something that's a huge faux pas you never do because obviously... It's a problem. no-no. It's okay. a no-no. I don't know how else to say it's, a, it's socially unacceptable to cut your partner's rope and possibly send them to their death. I don't know how else to put it. Um, and, you know, boy, is that guy's face red when he cuts his... You know what I mean? Anyway, so point being... Uh, but in, in Touching the Void, he waits hours and hours and hours for this guy to come up with a solution uh, before he finally cuts the dude's rope, right? He waits hours and hours before he finally cuts the dude's rope. and uh, Aurel did not even wait 30 seconds. Yeah, it seriously, it was like, oh, we got to get rid of these guys as soon as humanly yeah. possible. And so I thought, like, wow, that's kind of suspicious. Like, why don't you just at least wait a few seconds for them to come up with a solution? It did feel kind of... Um, uh, a situation where these characters are motivated more by what the script is telling them to than what actual characters would do in real life. I don't uh, know. I think it was kind of showing that ex- proving Egret's point exactly that they don't that her team, the Wildling team, does not care whether or not she makes it up the wall. They care that someone makes it up the wall, that they make it up the wall. You know, and if there's any chance that. You know, she and John can slow them down or kill them. You know, they're going to cut them loose. And we saw Aurel and John fighting last episode. So, you know, there's yeah, that no, no, good. I mean, you're right. No, good point. I was just um, bringing up a potential objection, but I think. But now right. I want to see Touching the Void. <laughs> I mean, you should see Touching the Void because it's an incredible okay. film. All right, I will. Um, and I will say that it's not a like. Uh, the movie begins and you're seeing the actual people in the movie narrate the movie so you know that they survived. Um, oh, so, alert. yeah, I mean, it, it gets spoiled at the beginning. But desp- even despite that, the movie is still incredibly thrilling. So, uh, so anyway, Touching the Void, fantastic movie. Uh, and probably significantly better than this scene was. But you're right, Joanna. You're, like, I, I agree that it is earned. That they that he just cuts the rope without even thinking about them. I mean, you, you know, you'd think he would at least look down and see. Oh, hey, look, Jon Snow is swinging and doing this stuff. But whatever, whatever. Okay, whatever. Let's move on. Um. <laughs> so let's talk about uh, the Brotherhood storyline. Hmm. Uh. Well, actually, before we get to the Brotherhood storyline, so uh, you mentioned the moment at the end of the episode where they get to the top. They're exhausted. John gives Aurel this look like, how dare you? Aurel's face is, <laughs> he is so embarrassed because he cut the rope. How dare then, you, sir? How and then they survived. You? I mean, you got to, you got, boy, is his face red. Like, he just got to, anyway. So then they, uh, they start making out at the top of the wall and it's all beautiful. And I will say the CGI is, is pretty, pretty solid. Like, it, mm-hmm. you do get a sense of the grandeur. It does feel like they combined... CGI and real world setting somehow because it did look quite real to me. Um, so yeah, what did you think of that last scene, Joanna? 
I thought it was dumb. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but it ties into sort of everything that was going on. Like, you know, why, why, tapping. Why, why, we'll, we'll get there. Why did you think it was dumb? I thought it was so cheesy. In, in the words of my, my other podcast co-host, it was so Titanic. It was just them, like, standing on the prow of the wall and looking out. And Celine Dion might as well have been playing. I just did not... You know, maybe my heart is blackened. I don't know what to tell you. It didn't move me. Yeah. Uh, maybe you're just a robot, Joanna. Possibly. Any, so uh, we get into probably the one of the better storylines this episode, which is the Brotherhood storyline, right? And Arya practicing archery in a really cool sequence, I thought. Yes. Uh, because it pays off something we saw in season one, episode one, which is Arya being a really good archer. She... She really should have been taking archery classes and not fooling around with, uh, what's his name? Sirio Farrell. Correct. Even though Sirio Farrell is one of the best characters. But you know what I mean? She's, um, she's amazing at archery and like kind of this scene of instruction of archery. There was that cool shot where they kind of were right in on her face as she's releasing the arrow. It yeah. It's pretty awesome. Uh, so then Melisandre arrives. and Yeah, and then that jerk Melisandre shows up to ruin everything. Uh, what do you mean? I just mean Arya was having a great time hanging oh, out okay. with the boys, I shooting arrows. I didn't, I didn't know if you were talking about how they seized Gendry and took him away. That um, too. So uh, Melisandre starts speaking High Valyrian yes. right, to uh, Thoros. And uh, is High Valyrian meant to be distinct from Valyrian? Well, it's like High German versus, yeah, it's like older. It's older. I see, yeah. Because I did, you know, I, I couldn't tell if it was just my imagination that they sounded uh, like they were speaking a slightly different language than what Danny was saying last week. No, I think um, it's supposed to be what Danny was speaking as well. Oh, it's the same thing. So it is the same thing then? Yeah. Okay, but you just said it was different. Or is that... It was Danny I think speaking? Danny was speaking High Valyrian as well. I see, I see. Okay. Well, then what is my imagination? Um, anyway, uh, we, we learned a it's lot. Like it, it's an old tongue. I could be wrong. Okay. Probably I'm wrong. <laughs> let's let's ask the linguist from Game of Thrones. We should send him an email. Um, but uh, th- so they have this uh, long conversation where Melis. So pretty pretty remarkable scene with Thoros. Pretty pretty great performance by this this actor. Because what do we learn in this scene, Jonah? Can you sum it up for us? What do we learn between Melisandre and Thoros? Right. And, so so and Thoros goes down and talks with uh, the guy. Beric uh, Dondarrion. Beric Dondarrion. And uh, he sort of – Melisandre's like, whoa, how could you bring it back six times? That's not even – that's not possible. You, you shouldn't have that power. Well, okay. Right? So here's the thing. Like yeah. according to this, the, the TV lore, which is slightly different than the book lore, is that you know Thoros was sent to – convert rob to to the like the lord of light that to that religion um and he failed in doing so and what is true i think in both the book and the tv show is that thoros had a terrible reputation as a priest he was a drunkard he you know he was fat he would like fight in tourneys which is not something that you would expect from a priest necessarily blah right. blah, blah all he, this stuff uh, he slept with prostitutes yeah. And, you know, so I think what Melisandre is saying is like, you know, not only should this not be happening, people should not be coming back from the dead, but you of all people should not be the chosen one to bring people back from the dead. 
And then Thoros just tells this really lovely story. And it reminded me of, of what you were saying about last week when Thoros sort of rushed Beric's side, Beric Dondarrion's side when he was cut down. And Thoros just tells this lovely story about how his friend was hurt and he said the words for the first time, not because they believe them, but they were words he knew. And it's sort of what he reached out for in this moment, this very dark moment in his life. And then Beric Dondarrion was resurrected. And as such, Thoros... Like, that's the hour he first believed, I think, you know. And so he's got a sort of zealotry about him from this very palpable experience of, like, I have seen the actions of my God, you know. Um, and I lo- I thought Paul Kay, who's playing Thoris of Mirror, I thought he delivered that whole thing just really beautifully. I keep saying beautifully. I need some more adjectives. But anyway, I just thought he did a great job, and, and I really liked that interaction. Yeah, I thought it was pretty great. And I felt like there was um – uh, there are a lot of parallels to uh, real-world religion going on here, I thought. You know what I mean? Um, there's this idea of that... So, I- in Christian religion, right, there's this idea that God chooses those among us who are uh, the weakest and most unworthy to share his message with the world, because it's through that that his glory can be made the most clear, right? And I thought that was an interesting sort of parallel because Thoros clearly not the not the greatest guy, not the greatest representative of God, but uh, the Lord of Light apparently chose him anyway. And right. and it is clear that yeah, if if this Lord of Light can act through Thoros, then he must be. You know what I mean? Like uh, the one true God. He must be the one true God, right? Mm. And there's also this moment where Thoros realizes that his true God is the one true God. And um, I could not help but wonder, you know, there are so many. um, I've heard sermons. I've talked with people uh, at church who who have asked for signs. And, and, you know, they typically don't get them, right? And it just goes to, like, people, Christians, Right, who who asked for signs from God that He exists, and they don't get them. And uh, this alternate universe imagines a world where this guy got a sign, and as a result, uh, was converted forever. And there's just something profound to see that happen, because it's not something that happens in our world that much, right? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I was uh, I was moved. Well, yeah, and it's sort of, it's the stuff of the Old Testament, right? Like, you know, there is, there were palpable signs in the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah, What'd you say? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, You know, I I thought it was a lovely scene. Absolutely. So then the brother, (laughs) followed up by the Brotherhood selling Gendry out to Melisandre. Uh, And... some pieces of silver. Right. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so let me just, let me just put this out there in the universe, and I don't... Anyway, in the in the books, Melisandre never comes to see the Brotherhood, and the reason she does is they're making they're using Gen- Gendry for to take place of another character. Basically, there was another bastard of Roberts in the book, and they're just consolidating. And I think it's smart storytelling. They're like, why? It's like, why introduce a whole other character when we've got a perfectly good bastard <laughs> we've of got Robert a Baratheon perfectly running good around. bastard right here. <laughs> So um, yeah, so in so and then it's kind of cool because in the books, Beric, Dondarrion, and Thoros don't interact with Melisandre. So here, you know, 
and this is what and this will come up again in this episode as we talked about this particular episode of Game of Thrones. Um more and more we book readers are at a disadvantage because more and more they're going off the map. And that, I think that's better for everyone. Um I was genuinely surprised this episode and I've never I've yet to be really surprised by Game of Thrones. So that was a cool feeling for me. And we'll get to that later. But um, you know, I don't think it's a spoiler for me to say like Melisandre and Beric and Thoros don't interact in the book. And because, you know, someone might be, oh, that means they're never going to see each other in the show again. I don't think that's true. Right. I think they could. You know, the showrunners are just kind of doing whatever the fuck they want. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we have this scene with Gendry, right, where they sell him to Melisandre. And it's kind of sad because Gendry had the whole speech not too long ago about how I finally feel at home here. And, uh, you know, and then he was going to be free, and and you know he was going to make arrowheads and and be one of the guys. Yeah. Um, my my problem with that scene is I wanted Arya to go batshit about this, and she didn't. Like I needed I needed them to physically restrain her. That's how upset I wanted her to be, and she was just kind of standing there and yelling, but she wasn't like I feel like the old Arya would have like pulled her sword out and fought for Gendry. Like it was I don't know. I feel like they should have been see, sitting I, I, on top of her as she was screaming. I don't her, agree. You know? I thought Arya put up the exact right amount of resistance. Because honestly, uh, Joanna, like, I am really tired of Arya being completely ineffectual at, at everything. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, in, in terms of, like, she had the opportunity to kill Tywin Lannister. She, um, you know, wanted to kill the Hound. Like, you know what I mean? Like, all these things. She just, she just done anything yet, man. You know? <laughs> are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you have to stop talking shit on my girl, Arya Stark. Uh, I'm just saying. I'm just. I'm sure one day she's gonna be freaking awesome. But in the meantime, I've seen her. You know, she survived. Look how far she's I've seen survived. her almost do a bunch of stuff, and it oh, kind no. of like I want to see her. You know, um, oh, oh, I want okay. to witness the actualization of Arya Stark, and it just has not happened yet. So to see her like try and take down the brother with a sword only to fail uh, is not something I'm interested in. But they do have that nice moment between Melisandre and Arya where they um... – Yeah, what do you think of that, what she said to Arya? Well, again, that's foreshadowing the badassery that Arya will become. Uh, but you know, I, who knows how long we're going to have to wait in Game of Thrones time slash real lifetime before that happens. Mm. So yeah, I, I always knew she had it in her to kill a ton of guys. I knew that. <laughs> uh, it's just a question of when. We're all so that's what, you, that's what you think it means? You think it means that Arya is going to kill a bunch of people and they're going to have different color eyes? Uh, okay, now, now you're making me question. No, I'm just, that's my question. Uh, okay, so what did Melisandre say? Brown eyes, blue eyes, green eyes? Like she sees... Eyes you'll shut forever. Eyes, yeah, yeah. So, so my, my interpretation is that she's killing people with those color eyes. Okay. So hazel eyes, don't worry, you're safe. That's from right. Arya Stark. That's right. Gray eyes, you're cool. Everyone else. And okay. and I gotta say, uh, I just love uh, Carice Van Houten's performance yes. as Melisandre. Uh, she's just so intoxicating on screen. Like <laughs> you, she demands your attention. Uh, and she, yeah, it's just it's just she's such an amazing screen presence and voice. Uh, so great job! You may remember Chris Van Houten from uh, her performance in Valkyrie, if you remember Valkyrie as a movie. Uh, but yeah, she was uh, Tom Cruise's love interest in that film, I believe. So, 
Okay. Also, also big ups for her cloak, which is an, like a character in and of itself. It's right. amazing. So. Right. Okay. Uh, before we get to uh, the people that helped to sponsor this episode of A Cast of Kings, we've got to talk about Theon, Jonah Robinson. Got to talk about Theon. And oh my god, a, you must have loved this scene. And what a freaking <laughs> colossal waste of time this entire plotline has become. Uh, seriously, though, like... Here's what you said a couple episodes ago. You said, if this guy is just some rando guy running Theon through the woods, I will be upset. But if he turns out to be a sadistic asshole in the vein of Joffrey, I will be fully on board. Don't you feel like we've got a sadistic asshole in the vein of Joffrey? Isn't that exactly what you asked for, David Chen? Uh, yeah, but that that uh, pronouncement of mine was premised on the idea that we would actually find out who the hell he was and kind of what his motivations were and what his relationship was to Theon. Yeah, they can't tell you. Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, if if we don't know all those things, then they're just retreading stuff from the first five episodes of this season. Do you understand how it adds literally nothing to our understanding of the situation? Right? Yeah. And I know why they can't tell you. I almost wish that Theon hadn't showed up until like halfway through the season. Like I understand that they needed – I think, you know, it's something to do with Alfie Allen's contract, I believe. But like I feel like they could have had Theon in this season, but they could have waited until five episodes in to show him, you know? And then we would have been like, holy crap, Theon, I almost forgot you existed. Yeah, I mean, that, um, that would have been a really shocking moment. Instead, we have these really difficult-to-watch scenes of Theon getting tortured uh, yeah. for, for apparently no reason, right? And so, so I, wonder, I wonder two things. First of all, I know that book readers aren't really bothered by it because they know. They know. They know. And, and the other thing is, <laughs> I wonder if upon rewatch it won't bother you so much because then you'll know. You know, I'm yeah. just curious about That's, that. It's true. It's true. But who knows, Jonah? Maybe they could totally botch this storyline, right? They could. Who knows? They could. But I, what I will say is that um, the actor who's playing the torturer is doing a great job of being a sadistic asshole. <laughs> <laughs> right? I, I think we can agree. And this the thing is, okay, look, yes, yes, very good. The show is putting you in the perspective of Theon. You don't know what's going on. Yes, I get that. Okay, I get that. That does not make I any- loved the meta guessing game. It was such a fuck you to you guys who are so for, like you guys are so irritated that you don't know who it is. <laughs> and then the character's like, let's play a guessing game. And I'm like, oh man, that's like salt in the wound. That's like salt in the flayed pinky. I mean, it's just like Well well when he when he when he's like, Yep, you guessed correctly. Oh wait, nope. Suckers. <laughs> It's like, oh, you mean you just did the exact same thing, basically, that you did, you know, two episodes ago? Thanks. Thanks for wasting my time. Okay. Maybe I'm a little angry about this. Um, <laughs> let's switch gears, John Robinson. Let's start. Let's thank the people. So that's all we're going to say about Theon. I, okay. Here, here's my question to you is, uh, in the books... Are you equally as confused about what's going on as you are when you watch the epi- as you as I am when I watch these episodes? Or no. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, because as I've mentioned, well, I don't know if I've mentioned this. I can't talk about this too much; it'll get me in trouble. But okay. uh, no, There's- no, you're not. So because in the show, it's like, what the hell is going on? Whereas in the book, it's pretty clear what's going on. 
Yes. Okay. That's all. That's all. No, don't elaborate anymore. That's all I'm asking. Okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. So let's switch gears and start thanking awesome people. Who I will helped- say there. Well, there's the uh, one more aspect is that <laughs> okay. you could one could possibly derive some enjoyment from trying to figure as a non-book reader, trying to figure out who he is. But I will say this. No, I can't say that. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. Okay. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I I'm trying to figure out who he is, but I just I don't even know where to start. Did did they give any clues? Because he said he didn't see any banners. Right? There were no banners at the place. Right. right. There's nothing to go on. So, I got nothing, Joanna. I mean, I barely understand the stuff where that, that they explicitly tell you in this show. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Let alone the things that they don't tell you. So, Okay, well, let's thank the people that made A Cast of Kings possible. Uh, we launched a Kickstarter to do A Cast of Kings. And uh, a lot of people donated. Some people donated a good chunk of money. And uh, to those people, we want to say huge thanks, uh, especially... To the people who took our reward tier of having us talk about uh, something that they're involved in, in one of their websites or something like that. And in this case, uh, we want to thank Leslie Howorth. I believe it's Howorth, not ha- or Howorth. Howorth, I think. Howorth, I apologize. Leslie mm-hmm. Howorth, that's L-E-S-L-I-E-H-A-W-O-R-T-H dot com. That's L-E-S-L-I-E. H-A-W-O-R-T-H dot com. Joanna Robinson, I, I dabble in photography. You know, I like photography myself. And um, it's really difficult these days because uh, of how cheap good photography equipment is. Everyone thinks they're a good photographer. It's really hard to find someone who has skills that are act- that have actually been worked upon and refined and uh, which that person can take pride in, and I think the the uh, I think Leslie Howarth is one su- one such person who you can admire this person's photography and uh, and and admire the worksmanship and the work that went into it. Um, and Leslie Howarth resides in Australia, and so for all our Australian listeners out there, I know you guys are out there. There is actually substantial Australian listenership. Uh, if you're interested in photographic services, lesliehoworth.com. That's L-E-S-L-I-E-H-A-W-O-R-T-H.com. That's where you got to go to uh, to get your photography on. Joan, and I'll was, say – Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you go. Well, particularly for fans of Game of Thrones uh, who are presumably our listeners, there's a section on his website labeled Myth, Legend, and Fantasy, and that was my favorite part. And I would suggest sort of clicking around there. There's these really cool like orc photography from Lord of the Rings and just some really cool sort of fantastical setups that are just beautiful. So I really suggest you you check those out. I mean, all the sections are great, but that in particular might appeal to a Game of Thrones fan. Agreed. Agreed. So if you are in the mood for if you are an orc and you need a self-portrait particularly one with your head cut off um leslie howarth is a guy to do it man so check it out leslie howarth photography at l-e-s-l-i-e-h-a-w-o-r-t-h dot com 
we also want to thank all the people that donated ten dollars to uh, this episode of Game of Thrones. Big thanks to Sam Boyd, Tom Fidian, Mig Silva, Matt Ellerbrock, Devin Fuller, Pat Donahue from the 2012 Stanley Cup champion LA Kings, Chris Mosher, uh, Kong, Andy Butts, and Jatinder Sidhu. Jatinder Sidhu. Thank you guys so much for your donations. I, th- I think I did that okay. You did. You did. I think so. I would like to thank uh, Jerry Timbrook, Jeremy Price, Tom Vanderscaff, Brandon Tenney, Trey Smith, Sean Sullivan, Joel Schonbrunn, Brock Wilbur, Scott, a.k.a. Mr. Spleen Folsom, and Dustin Rolls. Never heard of that last guy before. What a weird yeah. name. Dustin Who's Rolls. Who's that guy? I don't even know the last four on that list. So. Yeah, Definitely. Uh, so thank you guys so much. Uh, your, your donation makes this possible. I feel like we're living in the future in which, you know, listeners can support the shows they want and people that podcast no longer need to scrounge in alleyways for food. So it's amazing what you guys have done. Thank you guys for supporting, uh, the Kickstarter for Cast of Kings. Really appreciate it. Uh, let's move on, John Robinson, to the rest of this episode. So what else happens here? We had a scene with Rob Stark and uh, Walter Fry's men, I believe, right? Walter Frey, yeah. Walter Frey's men. They're his sons, Black Walter Frey. And, oh, they're calling them the, his sons in the show. Black Walter Frey and, and Lothar Frey. Are they not they're his the, sons in the book? <laughs> like one's a – the people who are sent, like one's a bastard and one – like basically he sends the most insulting envoys that he can send to go deal with Rob. Like – he picks not, you know, his trueborn sons or whatever. So, so in exchange for, uh, so Rob needs Frey's army to win the war. Yeah, and Frey is pretty pissed off about the fact that Rob promised to marry one of his daughters but didn't. So uh, to make up for it, they're asking for Harrenhal once the war is won and once it's mm-hmm. no longer strategically necessary, and they also want uh, Lord Edmur to marry one of his daughters, Rosalind Frey. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought this was a pretty amusing scene. Uh, Yeah. It was just just kind of funny that the the fate of the kingdoms hangs on whether or not Edmure is willing to take one for the team, as it were. And he does. He's like, okay, Team Tully, I'm I'm down. I'll do it. Um, Eventually he gets there. Yeah, no, it was a great scene. Um, I liked the phrase. They had that great, like, greasy look. Like, I feel like... No one at the Twins, which is, you know, where the phrase um, live, I feel like none of them ever bathe, ever. And I feel like that was very evident in this scene. And, um, yeah, and I, and the guy playing Edmure did a great job, like, just because he, he talks about, you know, it's the law. You're not allowed to force a man to marry someone. You can't make me. They're all ugly. And then he's like, uh, okay, I'll do it. Whatever. It just really, what's curious to me about, this show uh, is uh, that it appears to take place inside of an analogy of the Middle Ages, right? But people are not allowed to take more than one wife. Right. I guess, was polygamy even outlawed back then? I feel like... I feel like In the Middle Ages? Yeah. You're asking me about marriage laws of the Middle Ages? I, I am. <laughs> I feel like it's hard enough for me to keep all the phrase straight. Um, I don't know about polygamy in the Middle Ages. I, don't, I, I mean, like in Christian societies, certainly not. You know what yeah, I mean? No, you're right. Heavily right. Christian societies. 
polygamy would they would not be down with it. It's really only Craster who gets away with marrying his daughters. So and yeah, that's because and he's he lives north of the wall. He's considered a deviant, I guess. Yeah, and also super dead. <laughs> so. But it was just funny. It was just funny that uh, that I mean that Edmure, who until this point has been portrayed as you know metaphorically impotent and kind of a kind of a jerk. Uh, is willing to do what Rob was not willing to do. I know. know. Uh, so I thought that was kind of interesting that that they were arguing over something that Rob was not willing to do. Rob was too in control, too controlled by his passions, and Edmure uh, was very logical about it. So, so what is going to be the more fabulous wedding, Edmure and Frey, or? Sansa and, and, and Tyrion, and Tyrion or Loras and Cersei, or Joff. I mean, everyone's getting married. Joff and Marjorie. It's just like, I mean, something's in the air. Definitely, definitely. Um, so I think Loras. No matter who marries Loras, his wedding is going to be the most fabulous. Obviously. Okay, so you <laughs> you sent in this email where he was talking about people. Loras went on a little monologue about what he was looking forward to most of, in his wedding. And uh, he apparently said fringed sleeves, but it sounded like French sleeves. Yeah, a lot of people thought that that actor said, or the character said, French, you know, green and gold brocade with French sleeves. But he was saying fringed. But fringed sleeves. So, right. yeah, he said fringed, not French. Because people are like, oh, there's no France in the Seven Kingdoms. Excuse me. <laughs> France is not no France. Um, that's, our, that's our impression of nerds. Uh, it's terrible. So... Um, that being said, I mean, it it is interesting what people are willing to forgive because I was thinking about all the concepts that are in, like, in our world, right, that are referred to in, in the Westeros world, right? Like French kissing. What do they call it? Is it like Dornish kissing? I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Or, or, but just like things like miles, they talk about miles, I believe, right? Like, it's like five miles from here or something like that, right? Um, I'm pretty sure they use miles as a, a unit of length measurement, Really? Uh, do they? They don't say leagues or something equally yieldy timey. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but I feel like you know, my, or they have they have things called horses. Why do they call, <laughs> why do they call them horses in this alternate universe? Right? Do they just happen to you know what I mean? You're it, off it, the map. It's just interesting to hear what they use the same of, of from our world in the Game of Thrones world. And so, anyway, I'm sorry. Random observation. So. Uh, let's get to that a little bit later, Joanna. Let's talk briefly about the Jamie and Brienne storyline. So they're having dinner with Roose Bolton, and uh, Jamie's kind of <laughs> he's uh, he's struggling. Oh, oh! I should say, I should say, we had probably like fifty emails pour in last week. At, you know, when I asked the question, why did uh, Jamie not want milk yeah, of the yeah. poppy? Uh, and that's because he's afraid Kyburn was going to cut his whole arm off right. if he went under. Right. Kyburn, who's not, I mean, probably not predisposed to be very nice to Jamie anyway, right? Uh, why would he allow Jamie to keep his arm if blah, blah? Well, no, it's not so much that. It's that Kyburn's like, I got to cut off your whole arm. 
And then Jamie's like, no, no, it's cool. Just a little bit. Okay. Like your forearm up to your elbow. We had one listener. I think it was Pat. We had one listener write in like this whole dialogue that really cracked me up. But anyway, um, you know, basically Kyburn was like really eager to amputate it. I, it had less to do with politics and more to do with how much Kyburn likes cutting people's <laughs> body parts off. So I think, yeah. It was less obvious in the Here, show. That I, I, I feel like it. we should. I feel like we should reenact this Kyburn thing that that this guy wrote in. That Pat wrote in. That Pat do you have in. it? I, I have it. Do you want okay. to? Do you want to reenact this? Okay, let's do some. Let's do some. Let's do some reenact. So this is this comes in from Pat from Maryland. He wrote in this alternate dialogue from the uh, Kyburn Jamie scene from last week. You, you got? You have this? Yeah. Which Which part am I? Okay. Why don't you? Are you okay reading Jamie's part? Is that okay? Yes. Yeah. Okay, Kyburn says, I'm Kyburn. Wow, that's a mess. To make things easy for me, I'll just cut your whole arm off. Do that and I'll kill you. No need to be snippy. Tell you what, let's split the difference and I'll just cut your arm off above the elbow. Then I can still make my tea time at Harrod Hall Green. Bitch, I will choke you out with my remaining hand. Oh, have it your way. Here, drink this to knock yourself out so you won't notice me cutting off both of your arms. Er, I mean, so you won't notice me only removing the minimum amount of tissue that an ethical and fully licensed maester such as I am would do. I might have been born at night, but I wasn't born last night. And then Jamie's like, no, fuck no. Nice uh, nice, uh, British accent there, Jenna. It's pretty soft. No, because like <laughs> Nikolai Coaster Waldo, I learned how to pronounce that from Saturday Night Live this week, um, <laughs> is not British, so he's got a he's got a very funky accent. Isn't he like? I remember seeing him in the movie Headhunters, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is such a good movie. And what 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 uh, language is he speaking in that movie? I thought he's. I think he's Danish, but I could be wrong. I, I think it's a from Denmark. I, I, is that right? Nor no, dude, it's not right. It's Norway. He's Norwegian. Yeah, he's Norwegian. Yeah, that's right. So, all right. Anyway, <laughs> that was quite a moving quite a on. <laughs> moving on. Not even moving on. Staying where we were. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. so Jamie can't cut his food, so it's pretty cute when Brienne like puts her fork in his meat. Well, so. J- Jamie's clearly trying to call it th- like he could have. Do you know what I mean? Eaten it without causing a fuss, but he really wanted to cause a fuss. Um. So it, it seems like Roose Bolton, right, wants to uh, use Jamie to get he, – he thinks he can get a better deal by selling Jamie back to the Lannisters, right? Do we, is that correct? Am I reading this correctly? Um, that he can get money from selling Jamie to the Lannisters and yes. that – yes. And that also he's – what has happened is – Locke has put him in a very tough position. Right. Because, you know, if, like, Locke was, um, Locke is Roos's man, Roos Bolton's man. And so when, if Jamie makes it back to Tywin and Tywin finds out, finds out that his hand was cut off while he was under Roos Bolton's protection, Roos Bolton is fucked. So... Roos is like, how about this? You go tell your dad I had nothing to do with your hand, and we're all good here. And we'll call and, it even. Yeah. Um, Which so is going to be interesting. How I wonder how Roos is going to enforce that one. But, you know. Uh, so, but that's apparently the deal that they strike, right? Right. Uh, but And then so... Let me just say, by the way, the, the whole thing that I described last week of, like, the arm, his hand looking, like, 
really, really long as a way of, you know what I mean? Because he, yeah. he had his hand in the sling the whole time, and you could kind of tell that he did he wasn't missing a hand, that he was just, you know what I mean? That was just his regular hand wrapped in a bandage. I want you to rewatch the 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 scene and not look at the hand at all, and just and just <laughs> enjoy the rest of it. So then, Brienne ja- looked pretty in her pink dress. <laughs> so then, Jamie kind of insists on uh, on Brienne going with them. He's like, "Yeah, Brienne, I, I need her to come with me." And and then he realizes he has no reason for needing her to come with him, right? Um, well, I loved when Bruce Bolton's reading of the line, you know, overplaying your like dramatic pause position, position. <laughs> rather than hand. That was pretty bitchy. Bruce Bolton is the best at those dramatic pauses. Your sister is, uh, how do I put this? Fine. She's fine. She's fine. He's just, he's a sadistic little, little fucker. So. I'm curious what the etymology of that phrase is. Like, I thought it came from poker. Overplaying your hand? Do they have poker in Westeros? That's what I'm that saying. That's, what, that's what my question. That's what I'm saying. Is If they don't, then that's kind of weird, right? Uh, but actually, I thought it was... Um, he that, that that was kind of a reference to what... I didn't even recognize the overplaying your position hand parallel because I just assumed they didn't have the phrase overplaying your hand in, in Westeros. Oh. Um, I, I, I thought it was a reference to how he behaved with Locke. Like what got so it is his, a reference, right, but it's yeah. also wordplay. Right. And I'm, I'm wondering, like, did, did Locke, um, like, in order for Bolton to have known that, Locke must have told him what happened. He's like, yeah, Jamie was kind of trying to overplay his hand with me and then da-da-da-da-da. So that, that conversation would have been interesting. Anyway, so... Wordplay. Oh, to to be a fly on that wall. (laughs) Exactly. Because Roose Bolton probably was none too pleased. Okay. So. Yeah, so anyway, I mean, but the point is, is that, you know, Roose Bolton here is kind of, I guess you could say, trying to play both sides against the middle in terms of he's going to send Jamie back because he feels like um, that's the smartest thing to do in terms of Tywin. But he can't, but Brienne is also a traitor. So he's going to give Brienne back to Rob, you know, like he's like, okay, here's one traitor. I sent the other one back to his dad. You know, it's like Bruce is trying to play both sides is what right. I'm saying. Right. Um, but I love this line. I, I'm, I'm not going to read a lot, but I love this line at the end of that scene in the book when, um, Bruce Bolton says, Sir Jamie will continue on to King's Landing. I said nothing about you, I fear. It would be unconscionable of me to deprive Lord Vargo of both his prizes. Lord Vargo is is Locke in the show. The Lord of Dreadfort reached out to pick up another prune. Were I you, my lady, I would worry less about Starks and more, rather more about Sapphires. And that's a reference to that whole like Sapphire Isle thing. Mm -hmm. But it's also like kind of a threat to her maiden. I don't know. I love that phrase, like rather more about Sapphires. Like it's a reference to... You might still get raped. I'm just saying. So, do you know what I mean? <laughs> That's how Bruce Bolton rolls. Yeah, apparently so. I mean, uh, I, I, presumably at this point he still hasn't learned about the Sapphire situation. Right. Right. We, we don't know. Maybe we'll find. I have a feeling we'll find out next episode. All right. Uh, only a couple more plot lines left, Joanna Robinson. So. Uh, there's this whole scene with Sansa and Loras and Sansa, I mean, just getting put through the emotional ringer week after week, doesn't realize the terrible situation she's in, uh, doesn't have any gaydar whatsoever, apparently. 
<laughs> right. Uh, and so, you know, the the solution that Tywin came up with, Tyrion marrying Sansa, Cersei marrying, um, uh, what do you call it, Loras, right? Uh, they had this scene where Olena and Tywin discussed it, and I, I, Olena was just so brutal against Cersei, right? Like, just talking about she's her old. like she's old and desiccated and yeah you know lena Headey's still a very beautiful woman uh but apparently in westeros once you reach 35 or whatever the hell you, you're done for you're, you're as good as dead right well if you can't produce children what use are you as a lady exactly exactly um lena Headey actually 40 years old in real life by the way so uh but yeah uh so there is a scene where Tyrion has to tell Sansa what really happened, like what the situation is, right? Right. And they cut away before he tells her. What did you think of that decision? Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Okay, as I mentioned before, there's so much in this episode that isn't in the book. Um, and I rather like how it's done in the book a bit better. How it's done in the book is Cersei comes to dress Sansa and Sansa has no idea what's going on. And she doesn't even think she's being taken off. Like, basically, Cersei comes to dress Sansa and, and drags her off to get married. And, like, Sansa gets no warning. So, um, you know, whether or not they go through the wedding is the question mark. But, like, she doesn't get any of this warning. And it's not Tyrion who tells her it's Cersei. And you better believe that Cersei is pretty bitchy about it right. so i don't know i think they did that so that shay and Tyr- that you could see that whole shay Tyrion dynamic in that scene instead you know right which is so so valuable um <laughs> but yeah so, so instead of having this scene you're saying this scene where sansa looks longingly off into the distance at these boats does not happen at all correct all right so, do we want to say anything else before we get to the Varys and Littlefinger scene at the end there? Um, I mean, I just think we glossed over that Tywin-Olena interaction because it was pretty great. I mean, Olena had these great lines like, sword salt swallower through and through, and yeah. a discreet bit of buggery, like, all of that, all of her stuff was great, you know, and then Tywin, it's, I think it's the first time that Olena has lost in, in a sort of conversation battle of wits. Uh, Ty- okay, go ahead. Do you disagree? Well, I mean, the, the scene ends with her breaking the pen, which which I interpret to be her not agreeing to Tywin's demands. No, to the contrary. Tywin is saying, I'm taking this quill and I'm going to sign this order to put Loras in the Kingsguard unless you agree to the marriage. Okay, my bad. So she, she breaks the pen to say, don't put him in the Kingsguard. I agree. Okay, apologies. I totally, no, okay. I totally thought that that was the opposite of what actually happened. But yes. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Um, so she's saying she agrees to the Sansa, Tyrion, Loras, Cersei situation. Yeah, exactly. Once again, it's, I mean, it's not in the, in the book, but yes, that was my interpretation. That she broke the pen that he was going to use to sign the order to put Loras in the King's Guard, meaning, okay, you got me. And I mean, it was just cool that they had, uh, that the these two characters kind of, sussed everything out you know like the everything was just out in the open right about the rumors about you know loris being gay about incest going on i do wonder if tywin actually you know 
knows that, um, like, knows what happened between Cersei and Jaime, and he's just kind of putting on airs, right? Oh, he does. Yeah. Okay. He's just he's just pretending to be. Well, I mean, I guess he's really outraged in general, in reality. Yeah. But he's yeah. he's pretending like he doesn't think it's true, right? Um, also, the way the show portrays homosexuality is, is kind of interesting. Uh, just that it's like referred to as deviant. You know what I mean? Uh, which well, I think I think the modern audience is supposed to say we know someone's a bad guy when they like <laughs> when are they really think- really dickish about homosexuals right and so joffrey and tywin are our two like biggest anti-gay rights proponents in in all of westeros so whereas olena's pretty pretty tight she's pretty down she's just like whatever you didn't have male cousins growing up stable boys no oh it's kind of a thing (laughs) you never even experimented i mean really come on yeah anyway um all right so let's talk about one of the more controversial elements of this episode, right? And that's the ending. Yeah. Uh, So I will say we got this great email in from Jim uh, last week, a couple weeks ago. Uh, This email comes in from Jim, and uh, Jim had just listened to um, our season two episodes. And uh, he writes in here about the character of Roz, the thing I find most baffling is how much disdain both of you have for Roz. I wouldn't take a bullet for this character, but I think it's unfair to say that she's only there for sex position or to illustrate how brutal the world can be to women. Something my friend and I have talked about is that every scene she's in serves to provide context for the actions or flesh out the personality of the other characters in the scene. Being that she's been created for the show, nothing she does or says is ever really going to have much consequence, but that doesn't make her worthless. I've heard other people say that because the show has no point of view characters that we miss out on the the inner monologue that is present in the book. To me, Roz is there to provide some of that inner monologue in a way that is natural for a TV series. Taking, for example, the bit about her being so traumatized by watching the baby killed in front of her, the fact that she is traumatized by it isn't that interesting, because who wouldn't be? But the ensuing scene with Littlefinger, where he basically shows the audience exactly how he feels about the girls in his employ, goes a long way to demonstrate just how ruthless of a person he is. It's not a big deal, really. I was just surprised to hear you both feel that way. Uh, so, Jim, I, I feel like Jim, Jim N's email totally changed my mind about Ross. Like, yeah, you know, scenes where she talks to uh, Littlefinger and to Theon totally help illustrate the inner monologue of those characters uh, with you, in a show where there's no voiceover, right? Did this did this sway you at all, Joanna? Yeah, absolutely it did. And I was sort of hoping that, you know, with that perspective. <laughs> with that perspective, we'd see, Roz it's like, be we're like going to see a lot more season. of Roz to come. <laughs> she's she's going to be with the series for a long time. She's in it for the long haul. She's in it for the long haul. Well, it turns out that's not the case. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, Littlefinger has a scene where he talks about... He kind of has always alluded to how he was able to transform these assets that he's purchased. And we found out how exactly he did that in this episode. Um, So, you know, Littlefinger finds out Roz, finds out that Roz has been informing on Varys. This is one of the few times where Varys has been outsmarted, right? And uh, the look on the character's face, it's it's not really fear. It's not really like it's just kind of like surprise, right? That, that he's been outsmarted by, by Littlefinger. Um, and 
I think there is a part of him that does feel some sympathy for Roz. Oh, of um, course. Varys, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, in, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I think you're – I think it was more frustration, resignation. But I, I don't know. I, I think it's also just another move in the game for these two people in terms of like I don't think Varys is without – conscience like i think he cares like he cared about ned stark and stuff like that but he also just realizes that you know and he cared about Tyrion, but he realizes that they're all pieces moving around and he doesn't care there's a limit to how much he cares right. so he, he cares well, about well, Roz, he has, he has other not, concerns yeah he's yeah he cares about, about Roz, but it's not going to stop him from do, acting the way that he's going to act you know right. to help the realm right um and uh, you were really bothered by this, right, Joanna? You were really bothered by Roz getting murdered by Joffrey? I was. Here's my question. Yep. Like, okay, one could say, let's say we dispatched Roz because we, you know, Weiss and Benioff no longer had need of her. And she's a character we invented and we were sort of done using her. So In a way, the character on the show mirrors, (laughs) right, the character in real life. They just – the showrunners just discarded her when they had no need for her. Well, like unceremoniously. But what purpose does it serve? Does it serve – like what purpose did that scene with Roz and the other prostitutes serve last season with Joffrey? Like – do we really need more reminders of how – what a sick fuck Joffrey is? I don't think we do. So it just seemed really unnecessarily brutal to me. What the, se- what specifically seemed- the bolt through the breast was very disturbing to me. I see. You know? You know, I was thinking about this because you, you commented on this in a, in a text message to me. And uh, yeah, I just think that like I, I, I'm not disputing that it was really troubling. Um, but, you know, I once saw this movie uh, by Michael Winterbottom. Uh, what, it was called, um, I think it was called The Killer Inside Me, I think, right? Uh, let me try to, yeah, The Killer Inside Me, the 2010 movie starring Casey Affleck. Are right. you f- familiar with this film? Yes. So this movie was really controversial. Have you seen it? No. This movie was really controversial because there is a scene in which Casey Affleck brutally murders a woman, right? It's really brutal. It's really painful to watch. Uh, And a lot of people were like, this is misogynistic, showing this violence against women. And I'm not necessarily disagreeing, but Michael Winterbottom's defense was that, um, that we, we are just not used to seeing violence against women. In general, like we see violence against men all the time. We see Alfie Allen get totally brutally, ma- you know, Jamie Lannister and and uh, Ty- uh, Theon get maimed frequently. And it's just like, oh, yeah, I mean, that's still difficult to watch, but it's not like it doesn't like shock us to the core. But when we see women being beaten, um, it, it is it is more outrageous to us. Um, and I think part of the reason he made that movie, Michael Winterbottom, was to kind of question that that societal way of thinking. Um, so, so I guess my response to you is like, yeah, it was really troubling. I, I, I think like the fact that it was a woman, you know what I mean, like uh, makes it more troubling in a show that already has lots of really troubling things. Well, I know, so, and exactly, and. Probably part of it is that I was surprised 
Because this is a show where we've seen like babies murdered. I mean, we didn't actually see it, but we, right. you know, basically saw babies murdered and stuff like that, you know. So it's not like this kind of brutality is is new for the show, but there was a, I don't know, there was just a really upsetting way the camera lingered. The camera pans up her body and then it goes in closer. Just in case you missed the arrow protruding from her breast, we're going to like zoom in on it or whatever. Um, so I don't know. I just thought it was it was particularly gruesome. And, and yeah, perhaps that's the point. And the point is to remind you of how disgusting Joffrey is. But I really think we get it at this point. And I, I don't know. I just thought it was unnecessarily brutal. Like her being dead is 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 one thing, but the way it was shown, and just in a montage, just as like an afterthought, almost, you know, right? Um, I found upsetting. I mean, would you have preferred that they showed the actual Joffrey shooting her in the chest, or at least like the scene leading up to it? I don't know if that would be more. I feel like somehow that would be less disturbing, and maybe I'm wrong. But like that, that, it would have at least given that death some weight, as opposed to hey, we're just right. we're just throwing just her in hand. a metaphorical ditch somewhere. Yeah, right? exactly. During a during a voiceover monologue, right. you know, it's like I don't know. Um, but yeah, I spoke out a lot about Roz. What I will say is that I think <laughs> I've seen some. <laughs> you, you were you so hated this character, and now you're sad that she's I know, gone. I know, it's so hypocritical. Yeah. My um. My favorite thing is a lot of people are like, are you happy now, Roz haters? She's dead. You made this happen with your hate. <laughs> well, how do you know you didn't, Joanna? <laughs> I'm sorry. How do you know Benny often listen to our podcast and say, hey, you know what? This Roz character isn't really working. Let's get rid of her. <laughs> Joanna hates her a lot. Let's just bolt through the chest. Um, you know, it did remind else. it did remind me of uh, I was listening to the commentary for Eli Roth's Hostel. Why? Uh, no, no, no. I mean, like a long time ago. You know oh, what okay. I mean? Still, and, why? Okay. And uh, he was saying how the inspiration for that movie for him uh, was that he heard that, like in Vietnam, uh, that there was this, you could pay someone ten thousand uh, dollars, and you could go like you could pay someone ten thousand dollars in exchange for. Uh, you could go into a room and shoot someone in the head. That 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 was a service that was offered, and like you know, you'd kill that person. And um, that thought terrified him so much that you that that's what that that was something that was actually offered. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and so it just reminded me of the scene that like Joffrey was like, "Hey, I, I would like to try killing someone up close and personal who's totally helpless." Um, it's a terrifying thought. And I think it kind of invokes that idea, that last scene. So, yeah. Uh, so, what did you think of this voiceover? Chaos uh, is a ladder. Okay, I kind of hated it, but <laughs> they used it in the teaser for this this season. Correct. The whole chaos, you know, bullshit. I think the problem I had with it is that he says the name of the episode so many times. I said this elsewhere. Um, probably on the podcast I recorded earlier this evening. He kept like, I know the episode's called The Climb, and so he keeps talking about the climb and how important the climb is. And that always makes me think of that Arrested Development episode when Ron Howard goes, hey, that's the name of this show. Right. I'm like, The Climb, that's the name of this episode. Just keep hitting home this like really shaky metaphor, please. Oh, Jon Snow's literally climbing a wall, is he? Okay. Um, 
and the the music was really cheesy. Like I just I thought it was yep. just really I really hated it. Um, I don't fault Aiden Gillen's performance. I like him. I like how out and out evil Littlefinger is. But um, I thought the whole construction and then like you know Sansa crying, like. Once again, no offense to Sophie Turner because I think she's great, but just the whole way it was edited together did not work for me. So, okay, can you explain what the hell he's talking about? By the way, I mean he's saying how, right? That's like, another thing. It was like sound. It was like a Don Draper pitch. It was like, what are you talking about? Like, he's talking about. Okay, I guess you could say if you wanted to that he's talking about. You know. Varys' whole thing is I like to keep the realm as tidy as possible. Everything I do is to benefit the realm. And Littlefinger is basically kind of saying everything I do is to benefit me. But not just I enjoy the chaos because out of the chaos I can climb up and I'm incrementally incrementally improving my position. And you know, Littlefinger started out from very humble circumstances and has already climbed so high through all his schemings. And he's just keep keeps trying to climb higher and um but the language of it i don't know it was just very (laughs) shitty literature to me (laughs) like it didn't it didn't work for me at all here here it is chaos isn't the pit chaos is a ladder many who try to climb it fail never get to try again the fall breaks them some are given a chance to climb but they refuse they cling to the realm or the gods or love illusions only the ladder is real the climb is all there is uh so was this from the book like no no all right well yeah i mean (laughs) i mean thank you for interpreting that for me because you know my my liberal arts background i i mustered it but Still, still could not figure out what the hell he was talking about. I mean, it still makes no sense, really. I mean, if you really sit down and think about it, <laughs> like I said, it's a Don Traper pitch. It's sound and fury signifying nothing. Like, what are you talking about, Littlefinger? Some are, not given, that I- <laughs> some are given a chance to climb. He really just took that ladder metaphor all the way, you know? Yeah. And then so. he's like, Kodak, buy Kodak, or like whatever it is that Don Draper would be selling. It's a time so- machine. I call it the carousel. <laughs> anyway exactly. <laughs> okay okay we're done he's selling ladders you know whatever um yeah so it didn't work for me but you know and and you know i hate to sound like a total book nerd when i say that i think the reason this episode was so weak was because there were only like three scenes that were book scenes and the rest were like invented really i, I think the episode was so weak is that the episode was really weak joanna But I think that's why, because there's, you know, they've shown that sometimes they can create greatness out of, you know, like things that storylines that they invent. But I think they overplayed their position in this uh, in this episode. Um, The other thing I was going to say, the plot thing that we found out that I think is important is that according to the show, Cersei didn't order the hit on Tyrion. Oh Joffrey. yeah, yeah. I forgot to mention that. Forgot to mention. But it. that's not true in the book, and it's also true last season when, you know, it was like who ordered the death of the ba- of the bait of the bastards of the babies, and it was Joff, not Cersei. That's not true either. It's Cersei. So like they're whitewashing Cersei a bit and villainizing Joff more. Well, that and- that interaction was just kind of weird. I thought. 
Because Tyrion's like, well, did you do it? And she's just kind of silent. And I'm like, wait, so why doesn't she just say no? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think she's reluctant to give up her son. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it just didn't really. Yeah, I, it was mildly confusing. I thought, but yeah, but I'm easily confused. All right, look, we've been going for like an hour and twenty minutes here. I so, know we're so done. I we're think done. we we got to wrap up. Like, there's more emails here. Um, I'll just say a bunch of people wrote, including Jared from Woodbridge, Virginia. A bunch of people wrote in saying how they appreciated the parallel that uh, Joanna Robinson drew last week to the beheading of Lord Karstark as well as Sir Roderick's beheading uh, and that the same music played during both. Uh, so thank you guys for pointing that out. Appreciate that. Joanna, nice observation. And uh, we got to wrap up, Joanna, because uh, I think it's getting... We have to wake up probably in like six hours for work. Yes. Um, <laughs> so let's wrap things up. Uh, do you have a book of the week this week, by the way? I do. All right. Do. Stay tuned for that. In the meantime, where can we find more of your work on the internet this week, Joanna? Everydayonpajiba.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at quityourjrob. You can find me at twitter.com slash davechensky. That's davechensky and davechen.net. And uh, find my other podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Tune in uh, this week. I think we'll be reviewing The Great Gatsby with Joanna Robinson. <gasps> Joanna. Uh, yeah, that's you. Uh, so what, what book do you have to recommend this week, Joanna? Okay. So it's not a book that I've read, but it's a book that my, a bunch of my fantasy loving friends are obsessed with or a series. And then I had a listener write in this week and he's like, you should mention this. And I, I, I feel like I should. And it's Joe Abercrombie series, the first law trilogy. Um, so once again, this is not a book that I've personally read, but very smart people I know vouch for it and say it is, it is just the best of the best of fantasy. So check that out if you're looking for something fun to read. Joanna Robinson, we also have something else to announce. And that is that uh, there is a Facebook page which you have agreed to maintain for the next five years, right? Yes. Where can people find this Facebook page? Um, why don't you tell me, Dave? You can find it at facebook.com slash a cast of kings. That's facebook.com slash a cast of kings. And this is a way for you guys. We'll, we'll be posting updates about what's going on with us and with the show and the podcast and stuff like that. You can share your thoughts with us at facebook.com slash a cast of kings. Um, but I will say this, Joanna Robinson, are we going to make this a, uh, we're going to make this a no spoiler zone, right? No spoilers. This is no spoilers. No, no spoilers. spoilers zone. We may we may link to places such as Joanna's weekly spoiler recap where there will be spoilers. But right. within the page itself, you should not be able to read the page and see any spoilers because those people will be exiled from the community forever. So you do not want that. You don't uh, want to be excommunicated Facebook from a Facebook page. Facebook.com slash a cast of kings. Check it out. Thank you guys for listening to a cast of kings, uh, an unofficial podcast about Game of Thrones. Thanks to SlashFilm.com for making this podcast possible. We'll see you guys later.